Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Thursday show where I have a conversation with someone in the food world I think you'll want to hear more from. And this is a person that we've heard from several times over the years, making his triumphant return to the podcast. He is a partner in agricultural hospitality. Morgan Weber, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for doing this. It's been a while. I mean, I guess the last time I talked to you was over a year ago because it was when you and Matt were getting ready to open Easy's Liquor Lounge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. So you've had you've had some changes since then, which is why you're here. Start with the the decision to kind of change up what you're doing in the East End when you you made the decision last summer to close Miss Carousel and Indianola. Yeah, for sure. I mean. Both of those concepts were uh, near and dear to all of our hearts. And uh, we were really happy with, I guess, the product that we were uh, we were putting out. But the biggest change in that neighborhood, I think, really happened during the pandemic. Um, I think it it became post pandemic more of a, na- a neighborhood that uh, you know you saw the frequent concert goers or people going and. Uh, going to and coming from Astros games, Rockets games, Dynamo games, um, in in less of like a a high end food driven destination for concept cocktails and a loungy bar with you know couches and fireplaces and uh, kind of modern Texas food on the more expensive side. So uh, we looked at it. Uh, we were tracking it all year. Uh, during 2023 and during the summer, we were like, I, I just feel like we're missing the mark on what the neighborhood and people who are frequently frequenting the neighborhood uh, really wanted. Right. So you, you made that decision to, to close the, the bar and the restaurant. How did you come up with Highway Tex-Mex and then Lightning's Good Times, which is kind of a well, I'll let you describe it, but I think of it as mostly like as it's evolved, kind of a live music, uh, like a kind of casual bar with a live music component. Yeah, I mean that's to- that's totally what it is, what it has become. And Lightnings, we wanted it to be that kind of out of the gate. Like I think over the years, and especially after watching Easy's uh, over the last year, year and a half, um, there were a lot of boxes checked for me personally. And I know for Matt Tanner at Easy's, it's like those are the kind of establishments we like to go frequent uh, in our off time. And when we started considering what life after Miss Carousel looked like in that space, um, we, you know, we all, Vincent, Ryan, and I all enjoy live music a lot. And we're like, what does a live music uh, venue that's also a comfortable bar? What is that? How does that shape up? You know, so we started just on the back of the napkin, drawing some space plan uh, stuff out and uh, felt really good about it and just kind of ran with it from there. But specifically at Lightnings and super happy with how it's turned out. We don't we're still learning and getting our sea legs on, you know, running a live music establishment. (laughs) Uh, There's a learning curve with everything. Right. Um, And you know, we, we took a look at uh, kind of the neighborhood and what 
people that were coming to the neighborhood were we were thinking they were they were they would like and i have personally always wanted to do a tex-mex uh place i grew up on that kind of food multiple times a week um in yokum texas and you know it it all seemed to make sense for that area for that space um and especially for the time period that we're in um post-pandemic down there well and let, let me just ask you just specifically because Arguably, your your most successful concept is is Cultivare, which is getting ready to celebrate its ten year anniversary. Uh-huh. Did you think at all about oh well we could just we could do Cultivare East? We uh, certainly talked about that. We certainly talked about that, but um, and I actually at this point don't really remember why we we decided against that. Um, we talked about maybe doing even a more Mediterranean version of Cultivare. Uh, style food there but at the end of the day that neighborhood unless you go deep into the deeper into the east end with El Tiempo and Nymphas or you kind of deal with the parking situation around Papacitos downtown there's there's not really anything right around there that could kind of check the same box right yeah there's not a Tex-Mex restaurant that kind of caters to that bar crowd that's kind of coming to truck yard and Chapman and, and, and all the other know, places around there. Right. And there's, that's a big, that whole area is groups of people going out and there's not really, in my opinion, a style of food that is more conducive to big groups going out and having like almost a party while they're eating than Tex-Mex, you know, I mean, margs and share shared fajitas and grilled things it, it all you know a couple of rounds of queso hit the table and it, it's it's conducive for that pre-game post-game pre-party kind of crowd yeah no i i mean for sure i mean you know one of my most recent meals at candente was with like seven of my friends and like six right. of their kids right and it just it it works for everybody vegetarians meet people drinker non-drinker it just it everybody everybody can get together around a, t- a table for Tex-Mex for sure and it immediately becomes a party so talk to me about kind of developing this Tex-Mex concept because there are there's a bunch of different styles right like there's that kind of upscale you know kind of what's going on at like Ninfas or El Tiempo there's you know there's places that are a little more down home, you know, like I, I really like to walk in is kind of a less expensive option. Yeah. Alma Latina has been a big hit in the Heights. For sure. So talk to me about kind of, you know, where you landed on that spectrum with highway. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for us in agriculture to not overly complicate things, you know? I mean, it's like, uh, there are so many decisions that needed to be made that would arrive at a good end goal. Does that make sense? Like I kind of take the ideas of just the, you know, free chips salsa that hit the tables. It's like, all right, well, let's talk about the tortilla chips. How thick are they? How thin are they? Um, With the salsa, how spicy is it? Is it served at room temperature? Is it served warm? Is it served cold? Are we roasting the vegetables before it? Are we going to grill them over charcoal before it? Are we just going to make it a fresh salsa? And like all of those directions are good directions, but you kind of have to figure out what, uh, 
what the right answer is for for you or for us in this in this matter. And there are certain things that we just kind of from an ethos perspective have a hard time letting go of. I mean, there are so many shortcuts available in this style of food that you can um, that you can go down the road on. Like we make everything from scratch every day. It's not totally necessary to do that in uh, a Tex-Mex restaurant, depending on what approach you want to take. So uh, I think for us, the whole, what drove the whole menu on the, on the food side and the booth side was really kind of sticking with uh, what our guests have come, become kind of used to when they come into our places in uh, a certain amount of obsession over specific things, um, but also really not really, really trying to keep prices reasonable um, and, and stick to our quality uh, that, that we're happy with, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the, right. Cause you can't, you can't use easy melt in your queso, right? Like, I mean, other restaurants can, but you okay. probably can't. So I'll, that's the one area that I'll stop you on. We, I feel like in a prop, in a traditional kind of Tex-Mex joint, you got to use easy melt in queso. So we doctor it up for sure, but we do use, we do use easy. And that's one of the bigger differences between like the eight row queso and, and the highway queso. Um, that I, I have probably eaten more queso than any singular food product in my life. <laughs> and it's been that way since I was probably 12. And uh, going back to the idea of a Tex-Mex place that does kind of check those memory senses of growing up. We went with the easy melt there. <laughs> okay. So now that, right. So I, I didn't mean to sort of sidestep this, but you're already you're serving quite a bit of like Mexican influence food, Tex-Mex style food at eight row Flint. So, I mean, how much of that did you just bring over to highway or did you, or are the highway recipes distinct from the eight row recipes? Yeah, we, we started from scratch at highway on everything except the uh, guacamole and the corn tortillas. So we're still nixtamalizing uh, corn every day for the corn tortillas at eight row. And we're, and we were just like, man, that works. We love those tortillas and we do the same thing at highway, but everything else is a complete go back to the drawing board and, um, and, and look for, for like the best way to do it for the Tex-Mex place. Okay. So what makes like philosophically, I guess, then sort of what makes the, the food at highway distinct from the food at eight row. I feel like our tacos at eight row are a little bit more on the chefy side. Um, trying to think like, yeah, I mean, you're best known for your Brussels sprouts. Like that's, about uh, yeah, as that's, what, as it gets. that's what I was going to mention, you know, deep frying Brussels sprouts and tossing them in uh, lime juice and fish sauce definitely turns out a really good taco that people clearly have loved over the years, but we didn't feel like necessarily that approach made sense for a casual Tex-Mex place. Like we, I think, especially the way Vincent approached the food program at, at highway was really to, 
uh, for anyone who has frequented Tex-Mex joints in Houston or grown up on Tex-Mex to certainly walk in and find themselves at home with the offerings on this menu. Uh, and I would say probably 70 to 75% of the menu is that just our kind of interpretations and filter on those, those specific plates, but then also add, um, a component of, of creativity on things that fit in the Tex-Mex world, but maybe you don't see every day on standard issue Tex-Mex joints across the city. Does that make sense? Well, say a little more about like, give me an example of one or two of the dishes that. Um, yeah. Mind. I mean, I think, uh, Grilled oysters are one of those things that if you grow up on the Gulf Coast, you're certainly familiar with, but it's not one of those things that you see on, you know, a lot of Tex-Mex joint menus across the city. And uh, I mean, you certainly have have those at Hugo's places, but I, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't think we're going to argue about the fact that his places aren't your standard issue Tex-Mex places. However, no, I, no, I, I don't, I don't think he would consider them Tex-Mex. No, no. So, you know, that, and then growing up, uh, you know, hunting and, you know, in Southish Texas, it's always weird for me to call Yoakum South Texas because it's not, there's still like four and a half more hours of Texas South of that, <laughs> but, um, you know, grilled quail dishes and, um, things that, uh, the way we would have maybe approach, salads for vegetarian options vegetarians uh have a hard time at tex-mex joints i mean it's difficult and we realized that uh when we were about 80 percent through menu development it's like man the beans have you know pork chicken. fat the yeah. the rice is loaded with chicken fat it's like really even the things that you would think maybe wouldn't uh inherently have meat stuff in them Tex-Mex places are loaded with it. Right. Like even, even cheese it, you're like, oh, cheese enchiladas, but oh no, we cover them in chili gravy. So that's right. 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 So um yeah, I mean, I think we we didn't want to go so far off base that uh people who are are used to going to places like Lupe Tortilla or Cito's, Tiempo or Ninfa's, like they're going to be able to have like scratch the same itches at highway um, on certain items that are just kind of then filtered through our, our brain. Um, but also if they want to kind of get off the course a little bit, they can do that. So, I mean, you've been open, you, I mean, you've only been open for a couple of weeks, but yeah, how's it going so far? What's the, what's the feedback been like? Uh, the feedback has been really good. I can honestly say that Tex-Mex is one of the, the most difficult things to execute well and consistently that we've ever tried to do. I mean, it, it, there are so many components. The style of service is so unique to, um, to Tex-Mex that like, it's not like eating at Cultivari. It's not like, uh, obviously it's not like going to a bar, but it, it, it is, I have such mad props for, uh, all of those multi-decade Tex-Mex places that still crush it day in and day out. And they do it so consistently that uh, you know exactly what you're going to get when you go. You know, it it is a wild model. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, we don't, we don't talk about it or I, I think, you know, as Texans, we don't even really think about it, but you know, essentially the restaurants give you a free appetizer with the chips and salsa. Yeah. Kind of hoping that you'll want to upgrade it with guacamole or queso. But the real, and then the reality is that you, you tend to eat, you tend to eat that stuff to the exclusion of any other appetizers. And by the way, you fill up. So you never, you almost never get dessert. You, so all, you know, and so we have some desserts. It's funny you brought that up. We have some desserts on the menu that I'm really happy with. And we are selling more than we ever, ever thought we would, because I don't know when or if I've ever ordered dessert at a Tex-Mex place. It's like you crush a couple of baskets of chips and salsa, and then you order a bunch of, you know, fajitas or enchiladas or something. My problem is I've never really able to finish all that food. So I then take it home and have a full meal or two meals, you know, the following days. Uh, but yeah, it's the, even just figuring out like the, the chips and salsa part, it, it's been, it's been, it's been fun, but it has been wild. And then tell me about fajitas. Cause that's the other big one. What cut, how it's marinated, all that stuff. It's it's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's all kind of a tricky balance. I feel like beef fajitas specifically need to be skirt steak. Um, skirt. I mean, it, when we started doing the R and D on this, it's like if if a restaurant, what a lot of people don't realize is one cow has two skirt steaks on them. Those skirt steaks are anywhere between a pound or two pounds, depending on how big the cow is. So if a if a Tex Mex joint sells like 60 or 70 fajita plates a night, which I don't think for a really busy restaurant like Papacitos or Lupe, I mean, they crush on the fajitas. It's like a whole herd of cows. Right, right. You know, so uh, the the other tricky part is that skirt steak, beef skirt steak specifically is uh, almost the price of a ribeye nowadays. So being able to put beef skirt steak fajitas on a menu um and keep the price in a reasonable place is is also tricky is a challenge um but yeah so uh they get marinated overnight with some pineapple juice um soy sauce we we i like that kind of real umami um almost kind of sweet and lime juicy kind of meat situation for beef uh beef fajitas um and then the chicken fajitas also get marinated uh, i don't think any pineapple juice in that but um and then you know one of my favorite things in the menu that comes as like a fajita setup uh but clearly not traditional fajitas is our uh, carnita plate we went through probably eight different slightly tweaked iterations of the carnitas to Make sure the one of one of the things I dislike most about carnitas I get a lot is that they're under seasoned and by the time they get fried, they're uh, super tough. Or in the opposite direction, they've been cooked so long that they're just falling apart. So um, we we really and I you know I'm the drink guy, man. Like I I didn't obsess over how long and at what temperatures the carnitas were braised. Um, that was Paul and, and Vincent, but uh, super happy with the way they are a flavor bomb and 
the texture is fantastic. But uh, yeah, I think the mixed grill, the entire mixed grill section on that menu is uh, something that I'm super, super happy with. Yeah, because you know, then you gotta then you gotta get your flour tortilla recipe dialed in, and they can't be. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we went be- with Sonoran wheat flour. We tried a bunch of different types of flour with a bunch of different ratios of pork fat and bacon fat. Because uh, with Vinnie's, we render tons of bacon. Uh, we get tons of bacon fat rendered from the toppings that we put on the pizzas over there. So we landed on Sonoran wheat flour, a whole grain Sonoran wheat flour. Um, for the tortillas, it just had that real nutty, delicious bite to it that, uh, on the flavor side that we liked. And then it's about half lard and half pork fat. I mean, half, half lard and half bacon fat, um, to round that out. We, you know, I love Candente's tortillas a lot, but we don't conveniently have a barbecue joint just, you know, rendering buckets of brisket fat off. Uh, I think that's one of the really cool synergy things that they have about their program there. No, for sure. I mean, that and the uh, the Chipotle uh, pork ribs are like the, the oh, yeah. sleeper on that. Those are great. The, the sleeper on that menu. And then, of course, you know, the drinks, like, obviously, you know, the eight-row margarita has been a huge success. So, again, like, did you did you kind of just, how different are they or or how did you sort of differentiate that? Um, the eight-row margarita, so inside baseball on this one, the eight-row margarita and the highway margarita are the same margarita just presented in a different way um that we i don't know how many tens of thousands of those we've sold over the year but i it is my go-to margarita recipe whether i'm making that at home or at the restaurants and uh it is a ratio of tequila and orange liqueur and lime juice and sugar that i i don't know how i would change that and like it more um so we uh the the eight row margarita and the highway margarita are the the same margarita i did want to um uh put a margarita i love those big schooner glasses like you get at uh used to get the beer in at alice's tall texan and so i did reconfigure a margarita recipe um for that for that model and uh that I'm super happy with that one too. So that's the tall Texan margarita. Um, but outside of that, you know, I, I really wanted to approach the drinks, um, obviously margarita heavy. And there are so many different iterations. That's the cool thing about doing a Tex-Mex place. It's like, if I have eight margaritas on there, I can, I mean, give you right. options. Right. You can have a strawberry margarita. You can have different frozen yeah. margaritas. You can have the Texas, uh, martini, right. With, uh, yeah, exactly. So obviously there's a, a huge margarita selection, but I, I also wanted to take kind of what we've learned over the last, I don't know, 10 years in the more crafty cocktail world for better or for worse that uh, would allow us to utilize a lot of the really cool ingredients coming out of Mexico and uh, uh, that you wouldn't normally see on a Tex-Mex menu. And I know we're always going to sell more margaritas than anything, but for the curious drinker that wants to explore Mexican rum or other agave spirits from Mexico or liqueurs from Mexico, like if they read through the rest of the drink menu, like I at least wanted them to have to have a harder time making a decision by than just going straight margarita on the rocks. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. 
Well, and then I mean, you have your own spirit company, Marvel Spirit Company, that's yeah. doing the Magave based spirits, yeah. right? So, so it's all, so you, yeah. Right. So, did you find a place for that stuff on the menu too? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, when we, I designed that, um, the orange liqueur that Marfa makes now before Marfa Spirit Company was a thing. And I designed it specifically for margaritas. Um, so I, I think that Rio Grande Orange is a great compliment to, to Marg's. Um, so that obviously found its way on the menu. We've got Sotol in a really interesting riff on a Negroni that's based almost purely out of spirits coming out of Mexico outside of our, our Sotol. Um, and then obviously some, a couple of ranch waters and variations on ranch waters. And, um, one of the things that I had on the very, very open menu that we've not quite gotten uh, to the point of, of prep work on, it'll be coming back in a couple of weeks, but uh, there's a drink um, from Jalisco called the Tejuino, which is like a street cart drink that's made from fermented corn and the lime juice and peel and seal syrup it's kind of got the texture of horchata but it's got really bright acidity in it as well from the lime juice uh and we did like a bourbon version of that um where we're uh fermenting the corn not with yeast but with koji uh rice so that we inoculate it with the koji and let it do its thing overnight and uh I think, I think those are examples of directions of like, I know we have margaritas, but try the other things too, um, that I wanted, uh, people to at least be open-minded and exploring. Uh, but yeah, it, it's fun. It's almost like a lot of these ideas have been rolling around in our brains for years. And this is just the first opportunity that we've had a reason to really implement them. Well, and I do think, you know, if you kind of operate restaurants in Houston on a long enough timeline, I think it's Tex-Mex is such an important part of our local food culture. And, you know, if you grew up eating, especially if you grew up in Texas and you grew up eating it, I think you just inevitably kind of want to like present your take on it. Like all the, all the things you like from all your favorite restaurants and put them together in, in your own way. How many times have you been like considering going out to a Tex-Mex place with friends and you are trying to figure out which one you're going to go to? It seems like everybody has their thing at specific places that they want to go there for, right? Like, I like the queso at this place. I like the fajitas at this place. If I want green enchiladas, I'm going to this place, right? And so we all have that collective food memory growing up here. And I think the other interesting thing about Tex-Mex versus a lot of other cuisines, maybe Italian notwithstanding, is that if you have it on Monday in some form or another, you don't mind having it again on Wednesday in some form or the other. Like yeah, I as long as you go to a different place, because you'll get yeah. their version of, you know, you'll get whatever the cheese enchiladas at the place you went on Monday and then, oh, but I really like the fajitas at the place I'm going on Thursday. Right. And if you're talking about breakfast tacos, that's just food. Like I could <laughs> eat breakfast tacos every day. Like, right not weird for me to be like oh no i had tacos this morning <laughs> <laughs> tell me about lightnings because uh i still haven't i admit i still haven't made it over there yet but i i mean i see you guys kind of posting on social media with all these bands it looks like fun it is it is fun um 
we like I said at the beginning, the live music component of this is a massive learning curve, and we're certainly not done with that yet. But we uh, right now we're running live music Tuesday through Sunday. And one of the things when we started considering lightnings and if it starts to take that kind of uh, a few visual aesthetic cues from Easy's, everybody right out of the gate was like, oh, y'all are doing a honky tonk. It's like, we're not doing a honky tonk because that pigeonholes us into one kind of style of music. And we didn't want to do that. So, uh, you know, any given day of the week outside of Fridays and Saturdays, we've kind of dedicated Fridays and Saturdays to uh, being more DJ kind of nights, uh, because that neighborhood gravitates, uh, to that well. And we've, we've, we pair with the astronauts on Fridays and Saturday nights. They're a duo of, uh, really cool DJs. And that, that was also a world I didn't know a, a ton about, but like, uh, Tuesday, I think tonight, Corey Dozier's playing, uh, who's a jazz bassist with uh, a group of his buddies from around town and they absolutely rip ass up there. They're, I mean, it is one of the coolest jazz groups that I think regularly plays in the city. And we're super happy to have them at Lightman's uh, on a regular basis. And then like tomorrow night, uh, Christopher Seymour is playing and he's just kind of two-step in country music guy. And then, uh, you know, we roll into the weekends and the DJs, but it would, it also like, uh, Cam Franklin from the Suffers played last Thursday night, just to so like herself, not as the Suffers, but uh, she had, you know, a big group of people in there. So we really want the music at Lightnings to be, uh, you know, multi-genre and kind of one of those reliable places where if you're in the mood to go see live music, Tuesday through Sunday, you just kind of know if you show up, something interesting is going to be going on. Yeah, and I like that you know, one of the things kind of coming out of the pandemic is, you know, people want those kind of experiences, you know, we, right. we, they were, they were taken from us. So, you know, there's, there's lightnings, uh, there's kind of Heights theater has kind of more national acts. And then, you know, Dan Electros has gotten oh, kind Dan of a revival and, and is doing yeah. some cool stuff. So yeah. it's like this whole kind of mini movement that, that's been a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. It's hard in Houston. Uh, Cause I don't think we're inherently wired like uh, people in Austin are for live music, but we, we really wanted to provide the, like, I love going to big top uh, shoeshine Charlie's big top lounge, but they're kind of only open when there's a show going. And uh, for the most part, when that, when that bar is open, man, it's one of the coolest rooms in the city, but we wanted to kind of take, a more consistent approach where you just kind of know based on what day of the week it is, there will be something going on, even if you're not familiar with the bands. And let me, let me shift gears. Cause you know, like I said, I had the last time you were on, you were with uh, Matt Tanner, who's your partner in, in Easy's liquor lounge. And it was early days of, of Easy's or maybe even right before Easy's opened. Obviously it's been about a year and a half. So, so let me just ask you, I mean, were you surprised by how popular that place has been? Cause I just feel like it, it took off like a rocket ship. I, we, I, all we do is scratch our heads and be like, how? <laughs> like, <laughs> we, no, we had no idea. We had no idea. We never even contemplated it taking off like it has. And it's just taken on a, like a mind of its own um, in a really cool way. Uh, 
but yeah, it, it's one of those things of like, wow, I wish we had 10 of these things, but <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know what to attribute it to. It's like time and place, uh, the concept itself, but it certainly took off in a way that none of us ever imagined it would. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know how to explain it either. Other than that. It's, it's, it's very easy, like not it's to, comfortable. it's and very I, comfortable. And the, and the staff is really good and they make you feel welcome and the drinks are good and it's not crazy money, you know, in a city where there's just, there's a lot of 15 and $18 cocktails. It's not mm -hmm. that it's just. Yeah, and, and that, that part, we, we wanted that to be that way. It's like one of the things uh, that I've noticed over the past, probably two years specifically is that people and I don't know what the, the big takeaway from this is, but post pandemic, it seems like when people want to go out to a bar, they go out to a bar to really drink and to spend kind of as little on that part as they can while still being satisfied with what they get. It's like we we've seen a slowdown across eight row and even some of the more creative weird things that we put on the menu at easy's or miss carousel in the old days. Um, we've seen a slowdown in the style of things that people are ordering um, at our bars. Now you move over to a place like cultivare and I think the mindset of people that walk into dinner there is like, they do want to see the creative stuff because they're, they're looking for a more creative experience or not even a creative experience. They're just looking for an experience. I was sitting at blue Dorn, um, at the bar a few weeks ago and it kind of seemed similar there. It's like extremely creative, delicious cocktails that, that are not cheap, um, that they move through. And I was like, man, if we put some of these styles of ideas on a menu at eight row, like they would just be on the menu, but nobody would ever order them. So it's almost like bars are the pendulum swinging a little bit for bars, even cocktail bars, like the more crafty cocktail bars that um, people are returning to a bar setting that is comfortable, easy, and is not going to break the bank while it, they're still okay with the, those kind of cocktails at nicer restaurants or more experiential restaurants. Or then there's this kind of premium cocktail bar yeah, you know, refuge, know what you're wood, permission, places like that. That I think if people want that experience, they're seeking it out specifically, right? But they're not walking into. I guess I guess it sounds like at eight row, it's like all they really want are like margaritas and ranch waters. Totally. And if they want to get, you know, brown water, they go deep on the old fashions or just into the list. Yeah. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and I think that's okay. Like, I think there needs to be uh, a wide array of drinking options for, you know, kind of whatever mood you're in. I mean, does it does it make you want to do like a premium, like a smaller premium kind of cocktail bar somewhere? No. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that itch, uh, I think I've always kind of wanted to scratch. But when it comes to the reality of it, I'm good. I, <laughs> I, I'm at the point where I want to eat and drink the types of places that I want to eat and drink at. And for me to do something overly fussy and expensive and um, maybe with a certain level of pretension 
it's just not where my brain is right now. Um, like I love casual, uh, and you know, maybe I'll get over that. I think it'd be fun to get over that, but, uh, it's where I am right now. And so if we approach doing a concept that I think we're not passionate about in some way, it ain't going to land well. We're not going to execute it well. And so I'm, I'm good on the small, expensive, fussy thing. I'll go to right, somebody so else's place that do, does that. I love going to Refuge. Right, right. No, I mean, I like I like hanging out at Clarkwood. I like I like going to Refuge. You know, it's, uh, you know. It's... I don't want to buy $60 martini glasses, though, as an right. operator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it breaks your I'm heart every box. time one of them hits the floor. Yeah, yeah. Um. So you you have some shown some interest in sort of expansion. I mean, I know you guys you opened a second location of eight row on the east end. What what do you feel like is kind of is kind of your future? I mean, do you is it more highways? Is it more eight rows? Is it are you or you just want to consolidate for a minute? Like where where are you at? I think we want to sit and breathe for a little bit. Um, I feel like the the more we get into this, the less we know, um, and that's from like what guests want and uh kind of what intrigues us and i think i think for now we're, we're just gonna sit tight um and just kind of see how things shake out but uh yeah i don't full service restaurants man i'm gonna need i've got a little ptsd from this one <laughs> so <laughs> uh, all right well before i let you go i i mean it is 10 years of cultivare so it's it's such a funny thing because I remember like I remember a friend of mine like coming back and being like the revival guys are opening an Italian restaurant like wait they're doing what and then those early days when it was like a line out the door at five o'clock and you didn't take reservations and you know it took a long time because you had to you know you had to talk the city into letting you have a garden yep. which is obviously such an important part of the experience now uh if they had made you turn that into a parking lot it just it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same restaurant and a shame yeah yeah so how do you kind of feel about uh this restaurant as you approach to big milestone um i'm super thankful for that restaurant i feel like i mean dabbling in the the business with revival uh i never dreamed that cultivare would be what it is kind of in this in a similar brain, brain space as easy's um I, I went back and looked last year at the pro forma that we developed for cultivare when we were trying to you know create a business plan and we i think on mondays we literally thought it would it would be wild if we could get 30 people in um and that's what the business plan was created on that's what we've created the budget on and it was just going to be a simple little hopefully busy, but probably not crazy Italian neighborhood, Italian joint. And, uh, it very quickly was not that. And, uh, it's made, what's crazy is that it's maintained, uh, that level of business. It definitely changed during the pandemic when we went to reservations. Um, but we haven't really seen it. It's more of a management thing on our side than, uh, the guest experience side. It's, definitely improved the guest experience because they're not waiting for an hour and a half, you know, before they get a meal, which is great for the guest. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we, I ate there last Thursday night with Vincent and uh, Jacob Pate, one of our chefs. And uh, it, it's crazy how little we've changed about that restaurant over the years. Cause you know, we're constantly tweaking eight row or uh, you know, all the places, but like we've, we've not ever done a heavy renovation there and it gets beat up hard every night, but it is worn in well and comfortably. So that hasn't been necessary in the same way. I mean, it's all wood. So it's not like the wood needs repaint. Um, but yeah, it, it's so thankful. I just feel like I, I learned so much uh, opening that, that kind of set Ryan and I down the path of what would eventually be. We weren't agricultural hospitality then. We were just like, we had revival and we are like, hey, you want to do a pizza joint, neighborhood pizza joint and right, pasta right. place? Um yeah, I mean that that restaurant changed my life, uh, and I feel like concreted me in a career that I love and that I love and hate at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean I I think my most recent visit there was like uh, over the summer, and I Leonora, the general manager, will tell you like I, I have a tendency to sort of pop by unannounced, uh-huh. right? Like it, it's it's I still think of it as a place that doesn't take reservations, even though it does. So I. I very rarely plan my meals there, but I'll be, I'll be out and about I'll be in the Heights and it'll be like seven 30 on a Wednesday. And I'll just be like, Oh, I could have dinner at Cultivare like right now, if I just like show up and, yeah. uh, and last time I was there with a couple of chefs and, uh, I think we ordered some stuff and then Leonora suggested some other stuff. And I, I mean, it's just so consistently delicious. And I, and I try to sort of get away from the things that I, I come back for again and again. Like I try to get away from the, the black pepper spaghetti every now and then and just give myself some like, Ooh, like, Ooh, there's a, there's a linguine with shrimp or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I, I try to try the new stuff, but then, but then, you know, if I go like, if I go one visit without the black pepper spaghetti, well then on the next visit, like I have to get it, you know, I have to get arancini or chicken wings or, you know, whatever it is. And so I just, it, it balances that, you know, having some core menu items you can come back for again and again with coming in and seeing like, oh, there's there's something new from the garden and it's it's on the pizza tonight or it's, right. you know, it's an appetizer, it's a salad or it's a whatever. It's uh, it, it's just it, it keeps you engaged in that way. I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's such a cool spot. It's it it took on a life of its own as well. And I mean, our staff there is incredible. Leonora just rocks it every night. Greg, the her assistant manager and bar manager and Hector and like the whole crew is just incredible. And they work there. And, and you've had some incredible people kind of come through there over the years. I mean, when I met Martin Stayer, it was like, Oh, this bartender at Cultivari is opening a restaurant. Dude, it's Martin like, Stayer, a- that's funny. He, uh, you know, he came from Chicago and was came as a bartender and he told me the story. His wife is pregnant and she ended up going to the hospital to, she was in labor and in a cab and had the baby in the, like he had to deliver the baby in the back of the cab. And then he was like into work, like two <laughs> days later, like the guy is amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, to think about some of the people, Jeb Stewart who have come through there, uh, the people have made cultivari, the people at any given era of cultivari have made cultivari what it is. And um, we feel really, really fortunate with that. Well, 
And that brings me to the end of my questions. Unless, uh, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you want to discuss? Man, uh, uh, covered a lot. I appreciate you having me on. It's, this has been a fun, this has been a fun ride. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it continues to go. Yeah, no, I mean, it's always, it's always good to talk to you and, and you guys, Likewise. you guys keep doing a lot of fun stuff. So, you know, this Thank is, you. this is what appearance probably four or five in the yeah, seven years yeah. I've been doing this. So, you know, yeah. have you on again in a, always a, good in time. a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Plug whatever websites and social media. Uh, you yeah. You can find all of our uh, restaurants and bars at agriculturehospitality.com. Um, I'm on social media, Morgan uh, F. Weber and um, hope to see you in highway cantina and lighten is good times. It's a good twofer. You can come for dinner. And if you plan that right, you can wind dinner up and just like slump, like lumber over to uh, to Lightnings and watch some live music. Have a couple of nights. There it is. Morgan Weber. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. You have a great one. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.